Well, good morning. My name is Michael. I uh, also serve as one of the pastors here. Just want to say thanks for taking some time on a Sunday morning uh, to be with us. And especially if you're newer to the community, thanks for coming to visit. I hope that uh, in the moments you've already been in the space, you've been encouraged and actually felt God's love just by the way that folks have been loving you. Over the past few weeks, we've been talking about mission and vision. And this is a really important series. It's a very short series, but it's an important series uh, because my heart for anyone that would come to Genesis is that the reason you're coming is not just because, well, I should go to church and this makes sense, it's close, it's convenient. My heart in doing this series, Mission Vision, of talking about the things that God has placed in our heart, the things that we are committed to doing, uh, is that it would be shared. So that when someone asks you, hey, why do you go to that church called Genesis, your answer would reflect... We have a shared heart, like what they are giving themselves to is the very thing that God has impressed in my heart, and I want to be part of that. First week in Mission Vision, we just simply said our heart as a church is we just want to help all people walk with God. That's what the mission of our church is, is just helping all people walk with God. And I want to stress and just be clear when we say all people, we really mean all people. No matter someone's background, no matter someone's baggage, we want to help all people walk with God because all people matter to God, so they matter to us as well. And so that is our heart. We just want to help all people walk with God. Last week, we just asked the question, but how do we do that? How do we do that? It's one thing to say this is what you want to do, but if you don't know how you're going to do it, you'll just talk about something that you'll never end up doing. And so last week, we just simply shared how we're going to help all people walk with God is through the context of friendship. This is how Jesus did it, and so this is how we are going to be committed to doing it as well. Jesus shared with people the heart of God, relationship with God through the context of friendship. And I know that friendship can be hard. It can be challenging, and for some, maybe it's just been discouraging and disappointing, but friendship is so important to God, and so friendship is going to be important to us as well. And if we really want to help people understand what friendship with God looks like, it's going to have to be through the context of actually friendship with one another. So we looked at what we're doing, helping all people. Last week, we looked at how we're going to do that through the context of friendship. And this morning, I just want to highlight a pretty important question of why. Why would any one of us want to help somebody else walk with God? Like, why would I want to give myself to that mission? As a church, why would we want to give ourselves to that mission? Because if we don't have a clear or compelling answer to the question of why, then I think all of us will just simply fall prey to making our life about just trying to get through our life. How many of you can maybe resonate with one of these statements? When you hear me say, helping all people walk with God, Michael, I'm just trying to deal with my job right now. Like my career is crushing me. Like the thought of helping someone else walk with God, I just, I'm having a hard time navigating my job. Or Michael, if you knew what was going on with school and studies and how much work is being put on me, the concept of trying to help someone else walk with God, I'm just trying to finish school. Or, Michael, if you knew the mountain of debt that I am living with and living under, I can't think anything beyond this mountain that I see in front of me. So helping all people walk with God sounds intriguing and good and important, but I can't even figure out how to navigate all the debt that I have. Some might just say, gosh, helping all people walk with God? Michael, I can't even walk with my spouse. 
Like marriage is not turning out the way that I thought it was. It's gone in a different direction. And I just can't even figure out how to do marriage, nonetheless, help somebody else walk with God. Or maybe it's a different relationship with a boyfriend, girlfriend, fiance, or just a friend. I can't even navigate relationships, nonetheless, help somebody else walk with God. I could go on and on with different examples, but my point is this. If we don't have, when I say we, I mean all of us. If we don't have a clear and compelling why we would ever help somebody else walk with God, we will just end up making our lives about literally getting through our lives. When we started Genesis nine years ago, a handful of us, there was about 25 to 30 people. When we started this community nine years ago, we didn't start or plant a brand new church in order just to help people navigate and survive life. That was not the reason that we started this church. It wasn't just so people could experience their best life now. The conviction that we had nine years ago, and it's the conviction that we still have today, is people's eternity matters to God. People's eternity matters to God. We believe in heaven to be a real place. We believe hell to be a real place. And what compelled us then and what compels us still today is we want to help all people walk with God throughout eternity. Your eternity, my eternity, it matters to God. Where I spend eternity matters to God. And so the question that I want all of us to wrestle with And not just in this moment, and then you move on from the question, but I really want us to think about today and and this week is, will we care about people's eternity? Will you and I not only care about our own eternity, it has to start there, but will we also care about people's eternity? Because if heaven is real, if hell is real, and they are, will you and I do whatever it takes to help all people walk with God throughout eternity. I think we struggle to talk about subjects and topics like heaven and hell because heaven just seems so abstract. Like when you hear people talk about heaven, they talk about heaven is going to be like their favorite golf courses, their favorite vacation spots, and their favorite restaurants. I've even kidded about, gosh, I hope Chipotle's in heaven. We have this abstract concept. We don't even know how to think about heaven. And when it comes to hell, gosh, talking about hell is incredibly awkward that we don't know what to say about it. And so we try to spin as best we can hell and put it in the most positive light that we possibly can. I coached my son's football team. And last night after the game, one of the parents came up to me and they said, Michael, man, that was a hell of a game. And I said, are you kidding me? Do you have any concept of what hell is? Hell is the absence of God altogether. This football game does not reflect the absence of God. I didn't say that. (laughs) But I was thinking that the way that people talk about hell is we try to put a positive spin. That was a hell of a great dinner we just had. Because it's so awkward, we just don't know what to say about things of heaven or things of hell. This was maybe about 10 or 11 years ago. Uh, There's a comedic act magician named Penn and Teller. And Penn, if you're familiar with him, he's the bigger one who he talks. Teller doesn't say a word. And Penn is a very outspoken atheist. 
and he has no qualms about sharing about why he's an atheist. And when someone was asking him to talk about atheism and uh, people, men and women who are Christians and how they've tried to share their faith with him before, he said that, I actually respect that. And he said in this interview, if you believe that there is a heaven and a hell and people could be going to hell and you think it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward, how much do you have to hate somebody to not tell them about Jesus. Man, when I heard that question, how much do you have to hate someone not to care about their eternity? That was a paralyzing but incredibly motivating question to me of how much do you have to hate somebody not to tell them about Jesus? See, the most loving thing that we can do as people, the most loving thing we can do as a church is care about people's eternity, is to help them walk with God, yes, now, but also love them enough to help them walk with God throughout eternity. If Genesis would be the home or the community that you would be part of, I would want you to know that people's eternity matters to God. And because it matters to God, it's going to matter to us. So this morning, I just wanted to introduce you to one individual, and his name is Paul. And Paul is an individual who gave his life to helping all people walk with God throughout eternity. He was not confused as to his why he gave himself to this one mission of helping all people walk with God throughout eternity. And what's so compelling to me about this individual in particular is if you looked at his life before he met Jesus, it is the least likely guy that you would ever think in a million years would give his life to helping people find Jesus. Paul is talking to a king, and he's telling this king, and the king's name is King Agrippa, and he's telling King Agrippa a little bit about his story of what he was like before he actually met Jesus. He says this in Acts 26, I used to believe that I ought to do everything I could to oppose the very name of Jesus, the Nazarene. Indeed, I did just that in Jerusalem. Authorized by leading priest, I caused many believers there to be sent to prison. And listen to this. I cast my vote against them when they were condemned to death. Many times I had them punished in the synagogues to get them to curse Jesus. I was so violently opposed to them that I even chased them down to foreign cities. I mean, listen to how he talks. I was so violently opposed. I did anything and everything. I chased them down in order to get them to curse Jesus. In a different letter that Paul writes, he's explaining again his story before he met Jesus. And he says this in Galatians, you know what I was like when I followed the Jewish religion, how I violently persecuted God's church. And he says, I did my best to destroy it. So you see in this individual, Paul, clearly a passionate man, but his passions were so misguided towards persecution and towards violence. I mean, to the point of death and imprisonment. But one of the things that is so encouraging to me and what I see in Paul is this. God can give us a new passion. No matter what your passion might be today, 
God can give you a new passion, namely a passion to be passionate about the things that God is ultimately passionate about. And so if you're here and you're like, gosh, my passion is just to make a name for myself. My, my passion is to advance my career and my title. And my passion is to make as much money as I can so that when I hit the age when I don't want to work, I don't have to work and I can be as comfortable as I possibly can be. Or if your passion is, gosh, I just want to have the perfect marriage. I want to have the perfect family. I want to have the perfect relationship. If those are any of your passions now, I would just tell you, Gosh, the good news is God can give you a new passion, specifically a passion for people's eternity, because this is what God is most passionate about. In Acts uh, chapter 20, Paul gives us insight into what has now become his passion. This is Acts chapter 20, verse 22 through 24. And it says this, this is Paul speaking. And now I am bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. I don't know what awaits me except the Holy Spirit tells me in city after city that jail and suffering lie ahead. But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. Like, how does that happen? How do you go from chasing people down in order to get them to curse Jesus to being the guy that just says, my life means nothing to me unless I use my life to tell other people about the good news of the wonderful grace of God? How do you go from where he was to where he is right there? A passion to persecute And now a passion for people's eternity, to help people walk with God throughout eternity. In Romans chapter 9, another letter that this individual Paul wrote, Paul talks again about his passion for people's souls, namely their eternal souls. Chapter 9 says, With Christ as my witness, I speak with utter truthfulness. My conscience is my, con- my conscience and the Holy Spirit confirm it. My heart is filled with bitter sorrow and unending grief for my people, my Jewish brothers and sisters. I would be willing to be forever cursed, cut off from Christ, if that would save them. How do you say that? I would be willing to be forever cursed, cut off from Christ. For eternity, if that would save the men and women that are so dear to me. Like, where does that heart come from? Like, how do you begin to care about people's souls like that? What's so encouraging to me is what happened to Paul can happen to you, can happen to me. That no matter where we were, no matter where we are, no matter what our passions may or may not be, God can do something so significant in us that we begin to care about people in a way that reflects how God cares about people. God doesn't care just about us having our best life now. God cares about where we will spend eternity, and we will either spend eternity with Him or not with Him. 
And he cares so much about our eternity. He says, I'm going to send my son to make sure that you can spend eternity with me if you would only look to him. What was it that changed Paul from who he was to a man who had a passion for the things that God was most passionate about people's eternity? And it's just simply this. It was the grace of God. It was the grace of God that showed up in Paul's life and just changed him. Changed him from who he was to who God was calling him to be, calling him to enter into. It was the grace of God. Paul, in the same conversation that he was having with that king, when he was telling this king about who he used to be before he met Jesus, tells the king the story of when grace showed up in his life, when Jesus showed up in his life. We start at verse 12. One day... One day, I was on such a mission to Damascus, armed with the authority and the commission of the leading priest. I'm going to get them to curse Jesus. I'm going to persecute and imprison them. That was the mission he was on. And about noon, your majesty, as I was on the road, a light from heaven brighter than the sun shone down on me and my companions. We all fell down, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, Why are you persecuting me? It is useless for you to fight against my will. Who are you? I asked. And the Lord replied, I am Jesus, the one you're persecuting. Now get to your feet, for I've appeared to you to appoint you as my servant and witness. You are to tell the world, all people, tell the world what you've seen and what I will show you in the future, and I will rescue you from both your own people and the Gentiles. Yes, I am sending you to the Gentiles. Now, to someone who was as hardcore Jewish Pharisee as Paul was, this would be unthinkable. His category of helping some people made sense, but now his category is, no, I'm going to help you help all people, Jew or Gentile to open their eyes so they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. They will receive forgiveness for their sins and be given a place among God's people who are set apart by faith in me. Do you remember the day when grace showed up in your life? Do you remember the day when you maybe first heard God calling your name into relationship with him? Do you remember the day that God invited you to be part of not what you wanted to make your life about, but what he had in store for you? Do you remember that moment in time? Because why I'm asking is it's really important to go back to that moment in time to say, gosh, where was I when grace found me? Where was I when Jesus called my name? I grew up in church most of my life, was born into the Catholic church as it were, and my parents left the Catholic church uh, when I was a, a young toddler. So I spent most of my life in the church. But something happened to me my freshman year uh, at Ohio State. I remember it was a Saturday morning. I had a Friday evening that I was not at all pleased with or proud of. And I remember waking up on a Saturday morning and I was just in tears, so sick of myself hating myself, hating what I was doing to my life, hating what I was doing to other people's lives. And I just remember that's when I heard God call my name, not audibly, but I heard God say, Michael, I have so much more for you than this. What you're wasting your life on, I have so much more for you than this 
than this. Do you remember the one day when God just called you to himself? Do you remember the one day when your eyes were opened, your mind was opened, your heart was open? Be like, gosh, I can have a relationship with God? Like God wants to know me? God has something for me, the creator of the universe, sustainer of all things. He wants to know me. Do you remember that day? Because Paul, he never forgot when the grace of God showed up in his life. Grace meets us when we least expect it, and it gives us what we could not imagine. Paul was not expecting Jesus and the grace of God to show up when he was traveling the road to go kill Christians. But that's when Jesus found him. Paul was not expecting to give his life to something other than helping people curse Jesus. But this is what grace does when it shows up. It changes us. It changes us from the inside out. Paul never forgot that one day when grace showed up. And I know we talk about grace a lot. We say things like, hey, someone should say grace before this meal. And I don't want anyone to forget what grace actually means because grace just means it's an undeserved gift, an unmerited gift, meaning there's nothing I can do. Like, gosh, how do I get more of grace's undeserved gift? And when I'm using the language of gift, I just want to be clear. I'm talking about God. The gift is God. The gift is peace with God, forgiveness of all of our sins. The gift is friendship with God. The gift is friendship with God throughout all of eternity. The gift is a home in heaven. The gift is Jesus took my place. The gift is Jesus stood condemned, so I don't have to stand condemned. The gift is Jesus paid the penalty for all of humanity's sin. The gift is death to life, hell to heaven. Grace is a free gift from God for us. When did grace show up in your life? And I'm realizing maybe for some, it's today where you're hearing this. And you're like, I didn't even know that God wanted to know me. I just assumed I'd have to work my whole life and be as good as I possibly could be and get to the end and hopefully I'd stand before God and be like, I did some pretty good things and the good things outweighed my bad things. Grace is a free gift from God for us today. Do you remember the one day that grace showed up? Because Paul didn't forget his one day and in a different letter, Paul writes about grace when it showed up. And he says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 9 and 10. For I am the least of the apostles. I don't even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the, the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. His grace to me was not without effect. I am what I am today. And when people ask you, how are you this way? It was grace. Wasn't me. I didn't do anything. It was the grace of God. And I love how Paul says, his grace to me was not without effect. So the last question I just want to ask you is this. What effect is grace having on you? Because God's grace is for you. It's not just for some, it's for all. What effect is grace having on you? 
Because Paul says it wasn't without effect. Something happened and it changed me. I began to care about people's souls to the point where I would say, and the Spirit as my witness, I'd be willing to be forever cursed, cut off from Christ if it meant they would go to heaven. So what effect is grace having on you? I've read this verse already, but I just want to finish with it. My life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. See, the effect that grace can have on your life, can have on my life, can have on all of our lives, is we would declare with sincerity, my life is worth nothing to me. Even if I have the job I dreamed about, the marriage I dreamed about, the kids I dreamed about, the relationship I dreamed about, the money, whatever it might be, my life is worth nothing. Take all of that away. My life is worth nothing to me unless I use my life that God's given me to tell other people about the good news. And what is the good news? God's wonderful grace that you and I can have a relationship with him in eternity. Hell is not our reality because of Christ. Christ has redeemed and rescued us from darkness, separation from God, and restored us into his kingdom where you and I get to be kids of the king. What effect is grace having on you?